Hello and welcome back to Talk Real with JK. So today is a follow-on from the previous self-harm podcast that I did, which was for mainly young people and young adults. I wanted to do a separate one specifically more for parents and professionals. So before we get stuck in, I wanted to just again briefly go over again what self-harm was. So self-harm, again, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, is something that is deliberate and that is done for a way for a child or a young person to cope with whatever they are experiencing right now. It's a way for them to channel that emotional pain into something physical. Again, the triggers can be anything. So for each child, this is something really different. It could be from parental conflict. It could be if they have seen domestic violence when they were younger. It could be if they are being bullied at school, if they have suffered from emotional abuse, um, physical abuse or sexual abuse as well. So the triggers are very varied. And for each young person, like I said, they all have their own reasons as to why they self-harm. And actually for some of them, they don't even know why they self-harm as well. We do get a lot of cases where children themselves do not understand or realise that, you know, they are actually self-harming as well. Hopefully today's podcast, you will find a lot of useful information and advice, and I will be going over some of the triggers and how to know if your child or young person is self-harming, and then hopefully to offer you some more practical advice and guidance as well. So moving on to how would you know if your child is self-harming? So what are some of the things that you can actually look out for? And again, this will go for professionals um, and practitioners as well. If they have unexplained cuts, burns or bruises, so that's something to definitely look look out for and it could be on any part of their body. So just remember that it's not just always on the arms that some people think, it can be anywhere. Um, The other one is if they are constantly keeping themselves covered up. So if they're always fully clothed and they are always reluctant to get get changed um, in front of you or anyone else, anything that ensures that you do not see any part of their body. The next one is bloody tissues in the bin. So this is after they have actually self-harmed. They would try um, and cover up the blood with plasters and dressings and just to clear the blood away. So that's a bit of a giveaway in, in terms of that. If they are constantly withdrawn or low in mood, so if they're feeling helpless and useless and you will notice that they will change their language, that's generally the first thing that you will realise, their change in how they view themselves. So if they start thinking themselves as useless and worthless, um, they don't feel like they have a place in the world, you will also realise a change in their pattern of behaviour. So with all of these, it's really important that you get to know the person or the child that you are looking out for you will notice that there's a change in their behavior and that's why it's really really important that we look out for those small little signs that's where you're able to really pick up on okay do you know what my child does not seem right today you know before they were never like this you're more able to pick up those little little signs that can be really useful as well in terms of practical advice that i can give The first thing I would always say is that it's so important that you listen and it's a skill that I think we all talk about. I think it's something that we all say that we do, but I don't really feel like it's practiced enough and it's something so simple. Listening to someone 
and being able to put yourself in their shoes and just really have an understanding about what they're feeling is so important and it's so helpful children and young people are not stupid they know if you are not listening to them you know for example if a child is talking to you and you're constantly thinking about something else or you're trying to do something at the same time and not give your full attention to them they know that you are not trying to understand what they are going through and that can be really off-putting for them as well so it's so important that you listen and it's a skill that is not used enough and I can't reiterate that enough we get so many young people that I work with on a daily basis and one of their biggest complaints can be that they do not feel listened to whether it's by their parent or by a teacher it could be anyone that can tend to be the biggest problem for them so listening is so important and just you trying to understand what they are going through I know that's hard you know easier said than done but we can all try and understand what someone is going through you know through that we're able to really show people that we are listening to them and that we want to help them as well you know that's how they feel supported as well it's just really important to bear in mind though as well that you could be that person one day and you need to think about well actually how would I want someone to speak to me what kind of advice would I want them to give me how would I want them to make me feel that is something that I practice in my role every single day and it's something that I hold so close to my heart because with that you are really able to change people's lives and I have firsthand just by listening I've had parents say to me you know what it's the first time I feel listened to or it's the first time that I actually feel that I'm being supported and the simplest thing that I did was just listen so really important but really worth doing as well another one is that Don't be afraid to speak to your young person or your child. Let them know that they can talk to you. Let them know that, you know, there's an open space for them. I think a lot of people, a lot of practitioners and a lot of parents seem to think that if they talk to their child about self-harm, that it would actually increase it. But that's actually not the case. So don't be afraid to have those conversations and let them come to you as well. And moving on to that point... I would say have more of an invitation to talk about it. So don't let it be a demand. Don't say to them, you need to talk to me about it now. Just let them know I'm here for you. And whenever you feel like you want to talk to me, however it might be, for a lot of children, they don't actually like talking. They like to write things down. So they could do it in various different formats. But just just by them knowing that you are there is a lot for them as well. So it's, you know, I get a lot of parents say to me, well, actually, what can I do? A lot of parents feel like they're stepping on eggshells. They don't know if they're asking too much or too little. So I can understand it can be really difficult for for you as parents and also for practitioners as well to kind of think, okay, well, where is that boundary? You know, how far do you go? And I mentioned this in the previous podcast, actually, but one of the things that works so well is um, if your young person doesn't necessarily like speaking, again, having a diary or having a feelings book that you have access to. So it's not their personal one. It's one where they can write down how they are feeling and, you know, they can show you that or you can just, you know, check on it every day or you can get a whiteboard. It doesn't matter how big it is, how small it is. Again, you had two questions on there. The first is, today I am feeling like this. They would write their mood down. And then what you could do as a parent or a professional to help them. And they would write down, for example, I want you to come and speak to me, you know, when I'm feeling like this. Or I would prefer it if today you 
you don't ask me a lot of questions. It could be anything that they're feeling. So those are all really useful tips for you to definitely try. And again, that leads me on to saying that avoid asking a lot of questions. And it's important that you keep an eye on them, but not that they feel so suffocated because this this can actually lead them to self-harm more. So in term, when I mean keep an eye on them, I mean things, simple things like try and keep their bedroom doors open so you know what's happening. So even if you're upstairs, you kind of, you are checking on them here and there. Um, we have a lot of young people and children who, you know, are upstairs and they've closed their doors for hours and on and parents do not, you know, they're not aware of what's going on. So it's really important as best as possible, you try and involve your child within the family and, you know, you eat together, you know, you watch TV together. They don't constantly need to be around you as well. They do need their space, yes. But in terms of self-harm, it is really important that there is a level of supervision as well and that they understand that as well. So things like keeping the door locked for long periods of time is not something that you want to encourage or do as well. And just remember that self-harm for them is a coping mechanism. And at this point, they don't know how else to, you know, they don't know a healthier way to help with that right now at this moment in time. So going forward, when they have that support in, they are able to then look at more healthier ways to cope with what's happening. But right now, for them, this is their only coping mechanism. So you can understand that actually it's really important for them. And it's a relationship that's very important. And always remember that it's a symptom of an underlying problem. So self-harm in general, there is always something else that is going on. The root of the problem is always something else. And until that is not worked through, that self-harm will continue. So it's really important that yes, you get support for the self-harm, but at the same time, the root of the problem is also looked into as well. And just really encourage open communication. You know, that goes for all parents. Just ensuring that your child knows that they can come to you as well another one and this is a really good one because a lot of parents that have children that are going through mental health and self-harm they don't actually feel like they can keep firm boundaries with their children so they don't feel like they can discipline their child in the same way because they are more likely to self-harm I would actually say that it's still important that you keep hold of those firm boundaries as well and don't actually be afraid to discipline them as well. That is, remember, a sense of normality for them as well and it can actually help them feel more safe and secure as well. It's important that you still encourage, so for example, if they're doing something that is not right, that you do discipline that behaviour and that you don't get in, trap yourself into that net of completely not disciplining your child because of this as well. That will only cause more problems and issues as well. And don't panic. That's a really, I know that's probably a lot easier said than done, especially if it's the first time that you're hearing that your child is self-harming. It can be so hard to not panic, but it's really important that you do not show that to your child or that young person because it might put them off and they may not want to approach you as well. You don't want the, You don't want to tell them to stop harming. Um, And like I said, that follows on because obviously that is their coping mechanism. So if you say to them, you need to stop harming, that can actually be more detrimental to them and it can actually put them more at risk as well. And until we find other ways for them to deal with that, you know, just remember that that is their only way for them to cope with whatever it is that is going on for them. Have a safety plan. Um, And there are so many templates online now that you can actually use 
to help you with that. It's a really good idea to make a safety plan in terms of what your child's triggers are, you know, what leads them to self-harm, what are some of the signs that they, you as a parent can look out for. Make that plan together. You can write down an emergency contact and that may not necessarily be you as the parent, which is fine. I think as long as it's another trusted adult that you are aware of, have that number, make sure they have that contact there as well. You know, what to do in a crisis, you know, to call the ambulance. Those are all really important things for them to go over because if they are going to self-harm, we want to make sure that they're doing it in the most, you know, in the healthy, in a way that is less harmful to them as well. So that's really important. As always, if you come across a child or a young person that has active thoughts about suicide or they have any intention to take their own life, first of all, never leave them alone. Make sure they are constantly supervised at this point and you need to take them to A&E as soon as possible. They would need to be assessed. That is vital. Just for parents and practitioners that may or may not be aware of this, I just want to touch upon a little bit of what happens when the child presents themselves to A&E. So normally the crisis team at this point get involved and they would do a assessment. If they feel that is appropriate, they would then refer them on to CAMS. And CAMS essentially stands for Community Adolescent Mental Health Team health service sorry i should say um and they will make that referral to cams if they feel that is appropriate and it's all kind of dependent on that child's level of risk as well to them and then normally you would get a call uh, depending on how busy cams are you will then be um, called to have initial assessment and then cams will look at look to offer you the support that you would need however the criteria is very high for cams right now and their waiting list is is so busy so i tend to find that a lot of our referrals do not actually even reach a cams threshold which can be really difficult and i think is really frustrating actually for parents as well you know for them they feel so helpless they don't know what to do for their child who is going through this and it can actually be so scary especially when they're discharged from hospital and they're just given certain advice okay well here you go that's it you know it can be really really difficult So it's just important that you understand the help and support that is out there. And hopefully, you know, this podcast will go some way in helping with that. And then lastly, I just want to touch upon some helpful agencies for you as parents and professionals that I think might be really helpful. Um, The first one are two apps. So it's called Calm Calm Harm app or the Me Too app. Those are two really good apps that anyone can download. Again, that goes for you as parents, professionals, and also young people as well. It has a lot of good advice on there. And then there's the Young Minds Parent Helpline. So this is specifically a parent helpline that you can access information advice from as well. And then Calm is a prevention agency specifically for males. It helps prevent male suicide which, believe it or not, is a single biggest killer of men who are under 45 in the UK. And when I found that statistic, it was absolutely shocking. So CALM are a really good agency if if you're a male or, you know, if your child um, is looking for that particular support. They are a great agency to help support with that as well. And then for practitioners, obviously, you've got the two avenues of making a CAMS referral um, or you can go through CPE, which is the common point of entry. And that's where they will assess whether or not 
the child needs to go through CAMS or if they need to go down a different pathway, for example, the Andy Clinic. So the Andy Clinic is based out of Reading University and they help children who A, have not met the threshold for CAMS and B, who mostly deal with children who have anxiety and depression, but they cannot have a mental health diagnosis as far as I'm aware, unless that has changed. Those are their three criterias. So if you make a referral, it will generally go through the common point entry and then they will triage that referral and then they will then update you whether or not the child meets the criteria for CAMS or for the Andy Clinic, or normally they would discharge them um, and give you other advice or other agencies that you can actually seek support from as well. So there is a lot out there that you know can support you as parents and young people. And it's really important at any point that you have those op- open conversations, even as parents that you speak to your G- uh, GP, you speak to your school, you keep the school updated with what's going on with your child. Because remember, even though your child is at home with you in the evening, they are at the school for a majority of their days. So it's important that you have that really good relationship with your school um, and your GP as well. So if you are ever worried and you feel like your child does need more support, you can always contact your GP who can, again, make a referral into CAMS as well. And again, like I said, I know it's something that is not easy. And I, I have seen so many parents where we get referrals through and it's it's such a scary time for them. And sometimes we don't realize just how much it actually affects you and your mental health as well and even though we're here to support children young people especially within my service i always say to parents that you can only offer your child the best level of support if you are look after yourself as well and your well-being which i know can be so difficult especially in terms of mental health and self-harm as well but all you can do is try your best as a parent you can try your best to be there for your child and essentially that is all you can do and it's something that is more talked about now and I think it's there's so much more out there there's so much support out there and just know that you can actually approach your school you can approach your GP there are a lot of services out there that can support you with that so you don't feel alone and you don't feel like you know your your child is the only one going through this sadly self-harm and mental health is something that has rocketed um you know in society and it's around a lot more and we are getting better at dealing with it and supporting people with it as well as always you can email me or send me a direct message through my instagram and i'm always happy to help as much as i can i really hope you have all found this podcast really useful if you have any other stories or tips and advice that you want to give to other parents that i may not have mentioned feel free to message me and i can always share that as well As always, stay safe. Thank you for listening. Um, Keep learning and growing and I shall see you on the next podcast. Thank you.